Hi guys, welcome to our midweek devotion. And last year, we spent uh, pretty much the whole year, the whole time, going through the Gospel of Matthew and looking at specific discipleship principles as seen in the life of Jesus. And uh, this year, at least uh, for the next uh, short duration, uh, we are going to be just looking at some passages here in 1 Corinthians. Uh, so if you'd like to join me there, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And then as the year goes on, uh, this will take shape of some more uh, series, uh, if you will, uh, with uh, different themes. But for now, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And uh, before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for life. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness and your love. Lord, speak to us by your word. Lord, may it transform us and shape us into the people you've called us to be, and may it draw us closer to your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and beginning at uh, verse 25, where it says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they have no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So I want to unpack a few things there because it kind of sounds like Paul is advocating that, you know, there's only a few days left, and so uh, don't bother with your normal, everyday uh, events of life. Now, I wanted to go back and make sure that we did cover verse 25, because Paul introduces this section with a very important disclaimer, in that he says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So Paul is indicating here, I don't mean for this to dabble into uh, an inerrancy issue or you know, what, what do we take at face value, but Paul is saying that this is my advice right now. Uh, in light of the present distress, he says there in verse 26, which means uh, the necessity of the current circumstances. Again, Paul was living in a time where there is sharp persecution against believers, where believers are being put to death. Uh, where Paul himself uh, is going to be put to death. And so he's addressing these times and these circumstances and giving his admonition as to what somebody should do. And he's saying that in light of these days, uh, if you're married, uh, don't abandon your marriage, uh, stay married, and so don't say, well, because I want to serve Jesus, I'm going to get divorced. He's saying, don't do that, that there's, you know, there's nothing from the Lord that you should be doing that. Uh, he's saying, if you're not married, uh, don't seek to be married. Now, obviously, this is not uh, God saying, I don't want my people to be married. Because clearly, uh, Paul uh, was living in light of believing that he was in the very last of days. And he did not want people to be burdened down uh, with marriage. He wanted them to be, uh, encourage them to be fully focused on serving the Lord. 
And he admits as such in verse 28, uh, those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you from that. And so Paul very much somebody who is focused on giving complete devotion to Jesus Christ, uh, especially in light of the times. Now, I think it seems fitting uh, to address this because I've seen a lot of this going around on social media, uh, YouTube videos, uh, whatnot, in that we are in the very last days, that Jesus is coming any second now. And on the one hand, it's good for us to live with that kind of mentality, for us to live with the reality of we could see Jesus any moment. But, oh, please, I'm sorry, I don't want this to get controversial. But I also think we need to be careful to not live like the Left Behind series is gospel truth. Uh, please don't throw things at me for saying that. Uh, but I think sometimes what we do is we take uh, the Left Behind books and we say this is biblical theology of the end times. This is how it's going to play out. And so we read that into everything we find in scripture. And and so we, we live constantly looking at the news to see what things are lining up with what we know from the Left Behind books. Uh, the Left Behind books uh, were written uh, based on LaHaye and Jenkins, uh, their take on Revelation and how they perceive Revelation to play out. And, and with that, they go into explanation in terms of why did we take some things literally? Why did we take some things figuratively? And I think it's important for us to understand that, that left behind isn't this is gospel truth. And we're just creating a, a series of novels based on what is gospel truth. Uh, people have been deba debating the end times uh, ever since uh, the New Testament was written. Uh, no one has come to a definitive conclusion. And what may be disturbing to a lot is the, the concept of a pre-tribulation rapture, uh, that is actually very new theology. Uh, 250, 300 years ago, uh, you would have not found any uh, people really embracing that or have any clue what that means. And kind of a side road, I guess, is the idea of a pre-tribulation rapture is really kind of built around an American-centered uh, or a Western-centered view of the world. Uh, because typically with a pre-tribulation rapture, you'll hear people say, well, Jesus is going to rapture us before persecution breaks out against Christians. And you've got Christians in Eastern countries saying, what do you mean before? Uh, they're living this on a daily basis. And so a lot of it is kind of seen through an American lens. And I'm not saying that a pre-tribulation rapture is wrong uh, or that it's not correct theology. Uh, again, there's a lot of debate on all sides of the aisle, and so I'm not trying to take a theological stand on it, uh, just saying that it's basically a, a newer strand of theology, and we need to be very careful with it. Um, anything we have regarding Revelation, Daniel, uh, Ezekiel, some of these uh, passages about end times is written in the form of apocalyptic literature, which is really bizarre stuff. Uh, it, it's difficult to know what's what's literal, what's metaphorical. Uh, it's very confusing literature for us. Now, it was written in a way that the original audience uh, would have resonated with them a lot more, uh, but we get into a lot of trouble. 
uh, trying to become experts of end times theology. And I think what we can take from what Paul's saying here, uh, and again, he goes on uh, in verse 29, that the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. And in verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Uh, and that's kind of the bottom line there. And kind of, let's kind of try to rein this all in. In light of so many people, and again, this isn't new. Uh, there's a lot of books out right now. Uh, I've been made aware of another one. Uh, we had uh, the books by uh, Jonathan Kahn, uh, past couple of years, uh, Harbinger, uh, stuff like that. And really, fo and I even did a, uh, a podcast several years ago, uh, looking at some different things happening in the world and how it was lining up uh, with eschatology. And, and all, all of that is great and wonderful. But the bottom line is that Jesus said he didn't even know when he was going to come back. That was completely uh, knowledge only known by the Father. Uh, yes, there's some things we can look for, but the reality is, uh, go back to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, the disciples watch Jesus ascend to heaven, and they're told Jesus is going to come back just like they saw him going to heaven. Now remember, for the 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus is appearing and disappearing willy-nilly. Uh, he's constantly in and out of places. And so after they see him ascend to heaven... They continue about their lives with the idea that, okay, any second Jesus is going to show up again, because that's what he's been doing for the past 40 days. He just kind of appears, and then he goes away. So they lived very much with the mentality that, you know, any day now, any second now, Jesus was going to make his return. And by and large, every culture since then has believed that they were in the last days, and certainly we are in the last days, and we're certainly closer to the last days than we were 2,000 years ago. That being said, we still have no idea when the last days will take place, and how exactly that's going to play out, what that's going to look like when the day comes. Yes, there's some signs Jesus gives of the end of the age, and as you look at the news, it's like, man, it certainly looks like we're living in those days. And that's true. Uh, but also in the late 60s into the 70s. Uh, you, know, you look back to the 1970s and there was a barrage of uh, tribulation-themed movies. Uh, books were written. Uh, early 1980s, uh, there were a lot of predictions about the date of the return of Jesus. So all that to say that this is nothing new. Uh, what we're seeing now, uh, especially in light of the election, there are people making all kinds of predictions and this, that, and the other. And... Again, this has been going on for 2,000 years, and I'm not trying to be a, uh, I'm not trying to squash expectation of the return of Jesus. Uh, I believe that we are called to live with the anticipation of seeing Jesus again, and the awareness that that can happen any day. And I think that's the bottom line of what Paul's getting to. Now, again, he's saying that this, I don't have a command from the Lord on this, but this is my advice. Live today like this is your last day. And I think there's some wisdom there. Uh, but I think on the other hand, we also need to uh, conduct ourselves in a way where we believe 
will we conduct ourselves like you know we're going to live out our lives. Um, every generation before us has lived out their lives. Uh, so there, there's kind of this tension, I think, as followers of Jesus that we live in. This tension of, I need to plan and conduct myself like I'm going to live out my life here and you know however old it is that we uh, we leave this world. But on the other hand, living with this anticipation that this could be the day that we meet Jesus. And there's a tension in terms of how do we live? You know, how do we live our lives planning and you know, conducting ourselves as we have to live every day, but also keeping in, in mind this awareness of any day now, any second now, I could see Jesus. And there's that tension there. And Paul is giving his advice on how to do that. Uh, to live today as though we have no ties to this world. And I think there's a lot of ways that we can do that. I think in a lot of ways as Christians, we get very tied to this world rather than keeping ourselves tied to the kingdom of God. And by that, I don't just mean heaven, but by that, I mean this eternal perspective of the kingdom of God. And I think there's a lot that we can do today, regardless of where we fall on our eschatology, um, regardless of what our views are about the return of Jesus or the rapture or anything like that, to live our lives today like our lives are rooted in the eternal kingdom of God, not just in the here and now, uh, not just in the day-to-day -day events of life, which are fleeting, which are passing, which are not eternal, but to focus on that which is eternal. And I think at the end of the day, that's ultimately where we want to put our focus, how we want to live our lives, that we prioritize and truly invest ourselves in that which is eternal, in that which is of the kingdom of God, and to put less emphasis, less focus on that which is temporal. And if I can speak into uh, today's climate, um, American politics is temporal. Uh, I think there's a limit to how consumed we should be getting uh, in, you know, yes, we need to be active and vote and all that, but sometimes we get really absorbed into this American political fight. Yes, there are eternal kingdom issues that intertwine with that, but the American political system is not going to be eternal. Okay, sports, you know, I've obviously got my Penguins hoodie on, uh, a lot of Pirates and Steelers and uh, Columbus Crew stuff behind me. So obviously I love sports, but there's there's a certain degree to which I need to recognize this is just a passing laugh. Um, that there's nothing of eternal value, nothing of the kingdom that goes into sports. It's just meant to entertain, uh, to give a little temporary break as a hobby. That's it. And I think there's a place for us to examine our lives, to say, is the eternal kingdom of God the priority of my day? Is the eternal kingdom of God really that which I'm investing my life and my time and my resources? Or is my life generally consumed with the today, with the here and now? Uh, because again, that's passing. Uh, that is temporal. And those are worries and anxieties that will distract us from the kingdom. Again, when Jesus talked about the parable of the sower and the different seeds, uh, the seed that was choked out by the weeds, we often forget that it wasn't just, uh, the weeds and the thorns weren't just the problems of life. But Jesus also identifies the pleasures of this world 
as something that could possibly choke out the seed of the kingdom of God in our hearts. So even the good things in life can choke out the seed of the kingdom of God. Even good things can distract us from that which is eternal. And so I think at the end of the day, this is what we want to take away from what Paul's saying here in 1 Corinthians 7, to keep our first and foremost priority on the eternal kingdom of God and to hold very loosely those things which are temporal, which are passing, which are simply of this world, uh, to make sure that we're truly rooted and grounded in the things that are of eternal significance to the kingdom of God. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your kingdom. Thank you that we can live not just for that which is temporal, but that we can live for that which is eternal, uh, that which is of eternal significance. And Lord, may we rightly discern the things in our lives which are part of your eternal kingdom and those things that are just part of life in this world. Because the things that are of this world, this could be the last day that we participate in them. And may we not invest ourselves fully in that which we can lose today, but to invest our lives in that which is eternal. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining today. And Lord willing, we'll catch you back here next week uh, for another devotion. But until then, God bless you.